HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. Hello, welcome to Cookie Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cookie Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network. Really freaking late today from Roberta's Pizzeria in Butchwick, Brooklyn! That poor guy in Iowa. Oh, Jeebus on a stick. You don't care about me. <laughs> Just, just tell him now. Join as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. Just tell him now. Just tell him you don't Nastasia, care about him. Nastasia, Nastasia Lopez. Just tell him you don't care about him now, dude. Matt in the booth. <laughs> I care about that guy. Hi, Ladies guys. gentlemen, Matt in the booth. <laughs> Hello. How you doing? Anything good happened in the past, uh, uh yeah, whatever, week? Uh, uh, <laughs> no. I should be more prepared for this. I right, listen. The week after Valentine's Day, so I don't know how far away that is, like the week that it contains like the 17th of February, I will be in Belgium. I will be causing a bedlam in Belgium, so we will not be here. Are you gone before then, Stas? Are we here? Is that two weeks we have? I have no idea. Feels like that would be two. Call in your cooking or unrelated questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. I'm assuming, I'm not even going to ask you whether you've had interesting food-related stuff because your answer is always no, and then I just nope. sit here feeling like a like a jerk for asking you. I had you? dinner with Ariel last night at Gotham. Oh, how's Ariel doing? She's good. I yeah. asked her to come on, but... But she said, no, I hate... She's I like, hate. he's always late. How do I know what time to uh, get yeah, She did not say that. <laughs> Shots she fired. She did not, she did. Say, she did not say that. I, <laughs> Such a jerk <laughs> So, uh, by the way, fun fact about Nastasia Lopez. Oh, no. Fun fact. Is this what, what I told you yesterday? No, what did you tell me yesterday? Ooh, but now add that one in. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, if there's time and you're interested, an incredibly gross story to tell you. Okay. Inc- disgusting. Stomach turning. Well, maybe we save that for lunch. I feel like we just went on a tangent from a tangent, and it made me think. <laughs> it made me think of the movie Inception, and what I want a cooking list, uh, cooking issues listener to do is figure out how many levels of tangent have we gone before on the show. What's the Four, deepest yeah. we've gone into the dream? It almost it's always sad. comes back. Yeah. It almost always comes back. It gets more dangerous the more level, levels I you go. The, I thought this is what I texted you yesterday, like the the BoJack Horseman. <laughs> Oh, I didn't see that. What? I didn't, I, I'll take it. I love Bojack Horseman. You met one of the actors, one of the voice actors? No, I had somebody tell me you are like Bojack Horseman. I've told you that. I know. Millions like, of times. He told me in bed, which is a real oh, boner Oh, jeez. 
Well, everybody who knows you knows that you are the female human version of BoJack Horseman. This is like, I don't know what character he I am. He also asked if I lived in I'm a maybe that house. goat. or that, He's not a goat. The guy played I've by... I've never seen it. Uh, well, you know. And I don't even know what you that... You don't need to watch it. I don't it. know you what that means. If is you lived a- in L.A. and were a former child, uh, former like TV star, washed up TV star, you would be BoJack Horseman. You know what sucked is that when he said it, I thought of you, and I was like, oh. 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 oh yeah. yeah, that's rough. Oh, no, I didn't even know to bring this up. That's awesome. <laughs> No. All right, wait, what was the night? fun fact? The fun fact about Nastasia Lopez oh, is, God. well, I've said this one on air. This is to give you a flavor for Nastasia's mindset in general, is that Nastasia will never allow herself to go to the Billy Joel concert. Right. Wait, are you going? Is there one coming up? There's yeah. one every month. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I will. Anyway, <laughs> even though she, there's nothing she would love more than to see this Billy Joel concert, yeah. she won't go because she missed that one ticket like eight they were years doing ago. doing a vegan event. I mean, it's all of it was so... Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so another fun fact about Nastasia Lopez mm-hmm. is that she loves, loves, I mean loves. When I say loves, I mean lives for Saturday Night oh, yes. Live. Yes. Loves Saturday Night oh, Live. No, are you going? No, 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 okay. of course. You're the one who, you spend your whole life My arranged whole life around is- Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and so, but Nastasia will not watch it if oh, yeah. she misses it. I she watch must, it Saturday. She must see it live. Mm-hmm. Nastasia, have you connected with Kat Johnson about this love? No, just well, no, she, she loves SNL. But the important part is, is that she will not watch it on YouTube the next no. day. She must watch it live. And then I read the AV Club review Sunday I, morning. I don't even know what that means. But, like, all I'm saying is, is that it's the weirdest thing is that if she misses it, she's like, I missed it and I'll never see it. Yes. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Isn't that weird, Matt? It's I'm, the same <laughs> sketch, whether you see it. And, like, I was it's like, the, you know, you could sit... I know people that a DVR. Do this. You could record it. No, it's she wants to be part of the part the, of the whole show. the full experience. Yeah. yeah, you're not though. You're a lot of home. people do this. A lot of people. Okay, do this. I would like to hear from Jimmy the Fallon a lot of people. It. It's one thing to say you want to watch it live, but to refuse to watch it in any other yeah. format. Yeah. It's not a football game. I know who won Saturday Night Live. Crap. Did you? And now you can't watch did it you anymore. Watch Adam Driver? All I'm going to say is, is that I did not watch it live, but I saw the skits afterwards. Adam he, Driver you, was hilarious. You are the science guy in that. I didn't see that <laughs> what? skit. What? That is you. The best skit ever. If you haven't seen it, first of all. <laughs> no, Dave. Oh. First of all, the Del Taco. No, oh. Del Taco. You like that one? It was so hilarious. Jen and I, my wife, Jen and I, were almost <gasps> pissing ourselves. Are you serious? You're like, you're like a person. <laughs> like, oh, man, I'm out of cash. And they just make them say it over and over and over again. And it's all identical. He does cornholio. I did not like it. Oh, that was so freaking funny. I almost died. Wow. And the Marion ketchup. I thought you'd appreciate that. I didn't like that one either. What the hell? Yeah. You know about Marion ketchup, I do. Yes. I thought it was like, oh, wow, they're referencing something in our industry. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Obviously, I like Undercover Boss. Everybody likes Undercover Boss. You have to watch The Science Guy. That's you. That was was you. It's Uh, you. I didn't see it. I have no idea. I didn't Mm -hmm. see it. Anyway, that's the fun fact about Nastasia for the day, yep. is that she will not watch a YouTube version of the Saturday Night What about Medieval Times? I didn't really like that one. I bet, did you like that one? <laughs> of course, because it was ridiculous. Yeah. You just don't like Adam Did Driver. you like the cold open? Yeah, I like the cold open. You know, anything with uh, Kate McKinnon. Anyway. Uh, and John Lovitz. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, you didn't do so good. He's John Lovitz. The whole idea of John... But it's not cooking stuff, so if you're not into, like, old Saturday Night Live, you might not know who I'm talking about. The whole idea of John Lovitz is the man does not give a crap. 
He's the guy that like says inappropriate things at people's funerals. Like in the real life, the man just doesn't give a rat's behind, mm. and all comedians love him. Mm-hmm. John Lovitz. Anyway, before John. we get into food, Devin wants to know. He asks Nastasia in particular oh. how Claire's career clarity oh success team gosh. is going. Okay, it is going well, and Dave. Oh, she will not come. She will not come on the show. I really want her to come on the show, and I want you guys to patch things up. Because wait, how? Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. How? You. How am I going to patch things up? This is classic Nastasia. You organizes, organizes, organizes a situation where she can use other people to beat on her friends, and then like somehow blames me. She you organize the, the whole thing. Level, anyway. I would like for her to come on, and I want you guys to patch it up. There's her no career, patching to be done. Her career um, coaching is going well, and if you want to join her thing, uh, I don't know. What would wait? So Claire, you know, for those of you that and with that kind of call to action. So Claire, Claire, for those of you that don't know, she's the Vegetti Queen. She she's is, my best friend. She's the uh, what's it called? Uh, the wedding planner. She's the, a great the, officiant. Yeah, yeah wedding officiant. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So, like, I don't even understand what it would mean to patch it up. Just be nice. I just want you guys to I don't nice. ever see her. The one time I did try to see her, I tried to hook her up on a date. Dave, don't. Anyway, like, I never see her. <laughs> I don't know of anything I have to patch up. It's like, in order to patch something up, there needs to be a hole in something. It's all hole right now. <laughs> it's not, there's, all there's no... There, there's no like, there's no edges of a okay. hole well, anyway. to which to apply a patch. <laughs> okay. That can then be sewn in. We're gonna have Claire on. It's gonna be nice. That's all. Oh, my brother wants you to answer his question too. The um. First of all, the Joey Joey Lopez. Yeah. Love Joey Lopez, by the way. Good guy. Nastasia Lopez likes to make fun of her family and friends. Oh, no, but no. for those of you that don't know, Joey Lopez. Good guy. Nice guy. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah. He had a question, which I have here. It's near the top because it was from last week. Do you have any recommendation for the best indoor grill that won't smoke up the apartment? Last time we grilled outdoors, it was a big cottonwood bloom, and the smoke was going everywhere. Thanks, Joey Lopez. Now, I don't quite understand. So cottonwood, He's talking about on his balcony. Right? Yeah, yeah. Cottonwood, for those of you that don't know, cottonwood, uh, it's this tree. Very, I believe it's in the, um, I think it's in the Aspen family. Anyway. It's got like twittery leaves that are like kind of little diamond, not diamondy, but what's that shape? Uh, spade? Yeah, yeah, kind of shaped leaves. And uh, I was making a shape with my hands, people. And then at a certain time of year, they release these tufts of garbage. And then your entire, the entire air is full of these tufts of garbage, hence cottonwood trees. Uh, but I don't quite understand, like, how is he having a recent, like, was this like last spring he was doing? Like, well, yeah. Oh, okay, because it's not anywhere near cottonwood no. time now. And was he worried that he was going to light all these cottonwood Probably. things on fire and then they were going to... I don't know that that's a problem. I've never stood out in a massive amount of cottonwood with a torch and tried to see whether I could, like, you know, incendiary my whole neighborhood. By the way, why is it that people aren't worried about those paper lanterns that you light up in fire and they fly flaming through the I went into my neighbor's house in Connecticut. What happened to your neighbor? She was freaked out. No, but, but did you say it was someone else? No, she saw me. Oh, whatever I see them, I buy them for you because I know you love them. I but love like, them, why do people not freak out about them? I don't know. Apparently, your neighbor does. Apparently, they do if they come into their house on fire. Not in, but yeah. also, I would like to know because I've never been able to do it. How you get a permit for slash don't worry about controlled burns on your property? You know what I'm saying? Like, 
I understand like making a mound of leaves, creating a giant fire break, but the people who have like large amounts of property that do controlled burns in, in their forest, how the hell do you do that? Like how the hell do you get permission to light a fire like that? How does that work? I don't think it works in New York. I don't think you could do that crap in New York. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I, I don't know. Also, you don't that was the inciting barbecue. incident. Remember the, like, the Bundys, the guys who took over that thing in, in Oregon, the government land in Oregon? That was the inciting incident, was they were doing a controlled burn, and the feds came down on them. And the, uh, So you're saying it wasn't a controlled burn? Well, it wasn't a permitted burn. Uh, so which yeah. Bundys are these? Not the murderous Ted Bundys, a different group of Bundys, not the Bundys from Married with Children? These were the ones who made headlines when they took over some state land in Oregon and well, got, got a bunch of guys with guns together. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? You, you know what you probably shouldn't do? Burn anything on state Dave, land. explain how we got to the Houdini house. <laughs> no, no that's on, too dark. Just do it. You do it. No, because somebody at the Houdini party was like, so how did you come up with this party? Well, we were going to try to get the ranch where the Manson family lived. But it was A, too dark, and B, doesn't exist anymore because it burned down. <laughs> and then? <laughs> well, what did we move to after I don't that? Know. Some, I something else horrible. Something else. Like, I mean, Nastasi's like, like we're going to do a party in Jarrett Leto's house. I'm like, why? Because that's where they did all of the editing for the nuclear war films. Too dark? <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, we're going to turn it into a MoFad fundraiser. <laughs> and basically, and then Dave was like, so that's why we're here. And the person was like, wow. I got to go get a drink. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I got to go. Anyone got past apps? I'm just going to go. This is Laurel Canyon. There's other stuff to do here, right? <laughs> Goodbye. That's, what, like, that's pretty much what happened. You know what I mean? Like, if you... If you want to, like, one of the more fun things to do is to try to, like, work real hard, set something up, and then just sit there, stand there dead-faced talking to the people you've invited to your party and just scaring them the hell away from you. They're like, I just never want to. You know how many times people, I just never want to see those people again. That's what they say about about, about us. Can you talk about pushing the dumpster up the hill? Oh, my God. I think our party went till, like, 2 a.m. or something, right? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> we gotta wake up at six and push a dumpster up the hill. Yeah. That's life, people. I'm telling so you. So anyone that thinks that we've made it or we're making lots of money. For anyone out there, for anyone out there who's in their, like, you know, lower 20s, and you're the kind of person that likes to, you know, work with your hands, or, like, let's say you're in a, you know, a, a, a band, and you have, like, all your equipment, and you're hauling it around, and you're like, someday... <laughs> Someone else will haul my equipment. We're not there yet. Nope, not there. It's never going to (laughs) happen. Listen, if you like working with your hands and you like making things, you're hosed. Pretty much you're hosed. Hey, Dave. Do some sort of pencil pushing job. When I woke you up in that morning, what did you you did two things. What did you do? Change your underwear, brush your teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Show any change. Scrub the film off the teeth and go. Wait, so there's no barbecue for my brother. So there is no good indoor grill because, uh, like, fundamentally, the problem of smoke indoors is, uh, and actually we have a, a hood problem, you know, to get to later, but it's just, it's the primary thing. So, for instance, even, like, a Searzal is not going it, to, it's going to make a lot of smoke. It just doesn't make the smoke before and after the way that, like, a cast iron pan would. But there's just very little way to do high temperature work without smoke. The it is possible. Uh, I don't know whether I ever talked about it on on air, but where there is uh, 
where there is smoke, there is low temperature fire, right? So fundamentally, smoke is uncombusted stuff. If you had a hot enough thing, you could com- probably recombust the smoke. So for those of you that have ever um, roasted coffee, it produces an unbelievable amount of choking kind of you know, smoke. Uh, but if you take a, a, a high-powered torch, for instance, the Burnsomatic TS-8000, and you light that torch in front of the opening where the smoke is coming out, you can burn all that smoke clean, right? So it's possible to build like a catalytic smoke burner, and some coffee roasters have like a little afterburner, catalytic, or either, not really catalytic, but an afterburner where it's burning the smoke to make it clear so it's not choking everything up. And theoretically, I guess it would be possible to do that for a grill as well, but I just don't know how much heat input you'd need to be able to reburn your smoke. It might be more than the amount of heat needed to actually grill the thing, so you'd be doubling the heat output. But it might be physically possible. I don't know. On this note, I can talk about it because we have the patent, Nastasia, and ain't nobody can rip us off. I started work. This is not the product that Nastasi and I were talking about. I'm that sad. one's going to take forever. Oh, geez. <laughs> if you wanted to be on an unpleasant telephone call. Well, it was unpleasant for many reasons. It was, oh, so unpleasant. First of all, like, we couldn't get through, and Nastasi was at a club, and she wouldn't leave the club because she was, I'm not going to say she no. was. No. She would not leave the club, even though she knew that she had to be on this telephone call, and then she kept like, her face must have been sweaty because it kept demuting the freaking phone. Yeah, people, you know what I'm talking about? Your face is sweaty, it demutes the phone. So, like, it would demute, and I'd be like, for the love of God, mute your phone! Like that, you know what I mean? And she was, because, like, we were, we were already having an intensely unpleasant conversation about the people at the factory in China basically saying that the next product that we're going to make is not going to be available until March 2021. Now, we were supposed to be happy before that. I know, I'm hosed. I'm real hosed. I'm hosed real hard. Anyway, this is not that product. So we're not even going to be announcing it probably until January of 2021 for a March launch. But we hope it's going to be big. We hope the economy hasn't tanked because we need all of you guys to have a little bit of cash to buy this product. Am I right? Mm-hmm. But you're going to love it. If you don't love it, I, I, I can't imagine that anyone that listens to this program is not going to love that product. Right? Yeah. But anyway, on a separate note, and, and write in. See how much you would pay for this thing I'm going to talk about, which I can talk about on air. We're working on the Searsall V8, the kind of infinity war of broilers, right? So it's eight times as much energy as goes into a Searsall. It's over, well, actually a little less than eight times. It's going to be 100,000 BTUs. 100,000 BTUs. The power of the sun on your porch. But the problem is... I don't think I can make it available for indoor use. I think it's just too much power for indoor use, just for just for kind of randomly. So like a commercial stove, if you take all like all like four to six burners and the salamander is about the same amount. It's about five times more powerful than a regular gas salamander burner and about the same size. So crazy. But I think it's going to have to be outdoor only. I don't know. But the question is, how much, and it's going to be broiler style, and it'll have like a, probably a timer ignition. So you'll click it on, and it'll only stay on for 15 minutes and then turn off. Or you could, you know, up the timer a little bit. But just because it's not, you know, shouldn't leave a 100,000 BTU burner on that long. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Anyway, how much, by the way, for those of you that use a a Searsall, like, 
one of the things about Sears Law is you have to keep moving it around because it's small. But if you had that much power in a large format, so the burner area is about 200 millimeters by 400 millimeters, the question is, I have to experiment with it. It might be too powerful. It might just be too powerful. I don't know. But uh, tweet on to us or call on in if you have any interest. How powerful is um, Elon Musk's flamethrower? Well, flamethrowers, see, here's the other thing. People talk about a a lot about power. It's called not a flamethrower because the word flamethrower has legal connotations to it. And you know what? Flamethrowers, like, are really disgusting. I'm going to the uh, battlefield where flamethrowers were first used in a couple of weeks in Belgium. It was a horrible war, World War I. All war is horrible, but, like, World War I was an intensely bad war. But if you could imagine, you brought up flamethrowers. If you could imagine, I'm trying to imagine a worse way than someone painting you with burning... Uh, petroleum product that you can't wipe off and that doesn't go out when you go underwater. I can't think of a worse way to go. You know what I mean? Um, Anyway, I mean, I'm sure there are worse ways. I mean, I've caught on fire. I mean, I know what it's like to be on fire. Anyway, uh, the, it's not, it's not fun, but it doesn't, it didn't really hurt at the time, but that's because I didn't burn long enough to die. I just burned long enough to get third degree burns. I'm sure that if I had stayed on fire longer, it would have hurt while it was happening. At the time, it's just too much adrenaline. But in every movie I've seen where people are burning to death, they're screaming. So I don't know whether they're screaming because they're freaked out or whether they're in immense pain. I don't know. But all I know is, is that I wasn't in pain until afterwards when I caught on fire. Or I can't remember the pain. Anyway, I remember the pain afterwards. Uh, so a flamethrower, when you're talking about the whole point of a, a... When you're measuring heat, BTUs... That's just a measure of how much energy you're using. In a flamethrower, you're throwing that energy for a long distance and nine-tenths of it's wasted, right? So the thing with a, with a Searsol is that it's supposed to concentrate and make the actual heat useful instead of spraying it out in all directions, which is why it's extremely lightweight and has the insulation on the inside. So it's trying to take most of the energy and instead of radiating it backwards, radiate it forwards. That's the, that's the idea, and this new uh, design is I'm trying to take advantage of some of the spillover from the edges of it to kind of bring it back into the middle to try to get all of that energy inside of the face of the, of the Searsol V8, the Infinity War of broilers, and, uh, and try to make it. Anyway. Maybe too powerful. Maybe too powerful. I don't know. It might be too powerful. I don't even know whether I can make an indoor version of it. But, like, I don't know. See whether there's any interest out there in Cooking Issues land for this sort of thing. Uh, so I don't know of an indoor solution for you, Joey. I'm sorry. Most of the stuff inside is just, just, just not good. Just terrible. Just bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Get a Sears all joker. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, get a Sears all joker. Uh, why does it say Joey Lopez and then Pina? Oh, because I was writing Pina Colada about somebody else's question. Mm. Should we answer that question? No. Go to the next one. What's the next? Oh, Steve? Oh. <laughs> like- so... Do you remember his... Can we call up his... I, I want to find it, yes. Find, find his poem. It's the greatest it. poem. It was the greatest accidental poem I've ever been written. It was written to us by uh, Steve Yoon. Uh, yeah. And, he, and he, when he wrote this question in from Los Angeles... It's not really a question, it's more of a statement. He said, Steve Yoon, fish poet from Los Angeles. Uh, regarding wine Santa... Despite Dave's poo-pooing, I believe your wine Santa projects. I believe in your wine Santa projects and made one of my own for a Christmas party. Which, by the way, I know you don't like other people I making their talk own. About it. it makes me angry. But well, by the way, I made you. He's going to talk about the Oscars here, but I made you a dog for wine Grammy, and we didn't do it this year. Is it because you don't care about the Grammys? Um, I do, but I don't. Yeah, we didn't have a connection this year. Do you still have the wine Grammy mm-hmm. dog? For, if any of you are involved in the musical industry business, 
and you desire to have an a, RCA dog. Uh, well, it's the Grammy. Isn't the RCA dog on the Grammy? Isn't it? Don't they no, have? No, we maybe. Anyway, the RCA, you know, listening to the master thing, that dog, we have a statue of that dog that we've drilled out, ready for the wine tube, and it's going to spit into the phonograph, like uh, what's the, the bell of the Edis, of the Victrola phonograph that the dog is listening to, and that's going to be the wine Grammy. Yeah. It's going to be sick. But you said, so, but the, Steve, so wait, should I do Steve's poem? Yeah, yeah let's hear the poem. I, I, I can never get enough of it. <laughs> I had sushi from a chef who developed a technique for aging fish. I got to try some of this. An amberjack, compachi. Let's see again. I had sushi a, from a chef who developed a technique for aging fish. I got to try some of this. An amberjack, compachi. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep-deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed. And more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. There is a caller on the line with a question about poetry. Oh, oh all right, well, wait. Uh, yeah, wait, wait. Uh, I would like to see Nastasia expand to get more mileage out of your mannequin, so how about doing a wine Oscar for award season? It only needs a $30 like with su- a Lycra suit, Steve Young, fish poet, and there's a... There's a uh, That's a good... I'll do that. Yeah. I'll have a Grammy, I mean, an Oscar party, I'll do that. But what the heck is the Oscar statue going to spit it's out gonna of? Go it's going to go straight into a bowl. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. All right. Caller, you're on the air. Oh, hey, this is Wes. I actually emailed in because I didn't know if I'd get time to call in. I was the guy who emailed about the vacuum chamber thing. Oh, sure, great. I, I looked at that. So go ahead. You want us to ask your question or you want me to read your question? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, I can just ask. Basically, um, I want to be able to, like for spin zolling, I want to be able to get some bubbles out of fruit, fruit purees first and also vacuum compress things and vacuum infuse them. And I don't really need the sealing function of a vacuum chamber, plus it's really expensive. And so... I was just looking into some of these cheap Amazon things where they basically have a no-name generic rotary vane uh, pump and a pressure valve and a big pot that has a lid on it that you can depressurize. And it's just seeing if that looked legit or not. Yeah. Uh, okay. By the way, for those of you that don't know, uh, I like what you wrote afterwards. You're like, I'm the jerk! And you capitalized it so that I would pronounce it properly. Yeah. Jerk! Who so forgot sorry. to mention that your sister doesn't eat oysters when you were doing the, uh, her wedding uh, but you did the uh, bottled Campari spritz and you I enjoyed just have it. To show you oh, yes, pictures of the wedding. I have to look at it later. I can't read okay. and look far away because I'm wearing reading glasses. Because I'm old. You know what I mean? Anyway, so what uh, Wes sent to me was the Ablaze, which is like you know, one of those random Amazon only brands, Ablaze, which, which is a terrible name for any sort of electric equipment. 
right? If you're going to plug it in, you don't want it to catch on fire. You don't want your vacuum pump to catch on fire. But anyway, uh, it's a stainless steel vacuum degassing chamber and three cubic feet per minute single stage uh, pump. Uh, and it's a 1.5 gallon uh, steel container. And it goes for uh, 155 bucks. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, uh, what these are are kind of refrigeration vacuum pumps, oil-based vacuum pumps with a little handle on them. And then there's a hose that goes to a plastic lid, and on the plastic lid, which you can see through, on the plastic lid, there's a kind of a rubber seal, and then there's a, a usually a stainless steel pot that it fits on top of, and then a series of ons and offs on the top and, and a, a gauge to measure the fact that there's vacuum. And what they're sold for typically is for people who are using uh, resin, like plastic resin or silicone resin to degas it because when you're when you're casting plastics um plastic is like the plastic resin and the rubber resin is typically very thick there's a lot of air bubbles that you get just by mixing it and they can spoil they can spoil your casting in fact they will spoil your casting now there's two ways you can work around this one is by putting the resin in applying a vacuum that causes those bubbles to inflate therefore rise to the surface of this thick liquid and pop uh and that's vacuum degassing uh, the other thing you can do in case this becomes casting issues instead of cooking issues is you can take your resin, you can do both of these, you could take your resin and after you pour it, you put the, the thing as it's curing under pressure at like 60, 70 PSI. And when you put it under pressure in a pressure pot, the opposite of a vacuum, all of the bubbles that are in it shrink down to a tiny size. And then once the resin sets, there's not enough pressure left in those bubbles to kind of hurt the product at all. And you can get a very, very bubble-free casting. In fact, more bubble-free usually than you can get using a vacuum. When I back when I used to do more of this stuff, I did both because I had both a pressure uh, a pressure vessel and a uh, vacuum degasser. But vacuum degassers work great. There's the issue here, and this is not a bad price. So for 155 bucks, you get a, a gallon and a half uh, pot uh, and a three uh, cubic foot pump. Now single stage pump. Now the the pump is kind of a weenie size, right? And so <clears throat> usually. In vacuum degassing, you're just getting rid of gas. You're not getting rid of moisture, right? You're not, like, evaporating moisture off of it. And I've built many of these rigs myself over the years, many, many of these rigs over myself. And for the price, I think it's decent. So you could go and get uh, on Amazon the same place. You could get a three-gallon va uh, three vacuum chamber, similar to the one, which is fundamentally a large, round bain-marie, and a, you know, you can use a pot. They're great. The issue you need to make sure is don't use something square because typically square things will crush and don't use uh, something that has too thin of a gauge of stainless or under the vacuum it'll crush. Uh, but you can get one for 99 bucks, uh, a three gallon, and I would go for three gallon unless you really need the storage space because a lot of things are going to like um, inflate rather dramatically and you don't want it to hit the lid. Uh, it's not so good. And then if you ever do use it for um, degassing of resins, you're going to want to stick the resin in a large bucket inside of your vacuum degassing chamber so that you don't get the resin in your on your stainless chamber because that's not what you're trying to do. The other thing you got to worry about, the gauge on top is fundamentally useless, by the way, because you're going to be sucking a much deeper vacuum than that gauge can ever me uh, measure. So I don't even know why they bother putting that gauge on it. It's just, I guess, to see whether you have any vacuum at all, is that uh, on those cheap pumps, if you don't turn them off and on in the right order, you can back siphon the uh, vacuum oil, which you definitely don't want to do uh, into your product, but it's got the two handles, which, which is fine. But um, 
for food applications, you can use that three C- CFM pump, but it's going to take a while to get there. It's just kind of small. Uh, vacuum pumps are available for three, a three to four CFM, like the one that they're going to have is about 60 bucks, but a seven CFM, which is going to do it about twice as fast is, is 115 to $150. And the kind that I like, the really hefty 12 CFMs are like 199. If you really want to go totally, you know, crazy on it for 250, you can get a, uh, dual stage pump. Now, the problem with any of these pumps is you need to change the vacuum oil, uh, on them or keep them in good condition and they run rather hot. Uh, the nice thing about the one that you looked at online is it's got a filter so that as it warms up, the stuff that comes out of it, it's got muffler is going to make it a little quieter, I hope, but you don't want to filter it because you don't want a lot of that oil mist making it into your kitchen. And as the oil heats up, uh, with the liquid in it and the liquid boils out, it's going to create an oil mist. And the more liquid that you're boiling out, the worse the mist is. And it's not pleasant to have that um, vacuum oil volatilizing, not volatilizing, but misting into your into your kitchen. But yeah, it, it, it'll work. Um, yeah? Yeah. 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 Right. Cool. Oh, so, I mean, would, would I be, should I just make my own? <laughs> uh, I was thinking about this and... You know, it's not a bad price. I, if I if I was doing it, I would probably get a bigger vacuum pump and just buy the chamber that the, the buy the three gallon chamber that the other person made. Uh, three CFM is a little bit small, and it's going to be a small pump. But the seven CFMs aren't appreciably bigger, physically bigger. I mean, they're a little bit bigger, but they're not a lot bigger. Uh, the problem with making your own is you got to like tap the thing, you got to get the seals all right, and you know it's. It's nice to have something that somebody's made that it, it fits. The advantage of making your own is that I can put mine on any pot that I own because I made the seal like really wide, so it'll fit on almost any pot that I own, which is nice. But on the other hand, the visibility in mine isn't as good because I don't have as big of a clear spot because there's a larger area of seal. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in yeah. terms of just cleanliness and ease of doing it, I don't think that's an unfair price. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks. All right, cool. Uh, Chris wrote in, I have a Kindle copy of Liquid Intelligence and unfortunately it's not possible for me to make out the details of the cocktail balance at a glance graphic. I like the quantitative approach uh, Dave has outlined. Uh, is there any way to get a higher resolution copy of this image electronically without also buying a hard copy of the book? Wow, I mean, Dave only worked on that book for how many years? <laughs> I mean, no, you should not buy the book. I look, Why would you do that? I look, he, he owns a Kindle copy. The real problem is, is that no one... No one who's set up at, at Norton who did the Kindle thing talked to me about it at all. They don't talk to the authors about what the Kindle book looks like. If someone buys the Kindle copy, they should be able to see the full you know, resolution image. Uh, but I looked online. I even looked on the Amazon look inside of, and I wasn't able to get that graphic up. I actually can't put it up online because then I would be violating the Norton copyright. You, know? um, you can't take a photo and post it on your Twitter? I mean, I guess, but then it's not going to be any higher resolution. I mean, the data is there in the... What? I mean... That's it. Maybe maybe Chris doesn't like having... I mean, like, unlike me, maybe Chris doesn't like having a bunch of books around. It's also a good separator for hot and cold food, so multi-purpose. That is true. Uh, Charlie wrote in, and this goes to (laughs) Joey's question, uh, which is, by the way, the only use Nastasia has for 9 out of 10 cooking books, but I've been told that mine is ideal. Just the right size for a casserole dish... You really nailed it, Dave. You know what I mean? 
Feels good. Well, Nastasia was there in a lot of meetings with Maria, my yeah. editor. And so, you know, we'd be looking at different sizes of books, and Nastasia would be like, too big, won't sit flat in my tote. And he had no idea why I was, yeah. <laughs> like, Nastasia, why do you care if my book will lie flat in your tote? Never mind, it's just important. Believe me. Believe me. I was like, well, we could print it on this paper. No, 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 no. Too thick. What about this one? No, too thin. It's No, it's too much heat transfer between the pages. Jeez, oh, Stasi has all these opinions about the dimensions of the book. It's crazy. An eye for detail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, she, she tried to go for a waterproof cover, but we couldn't afford it, so... <laughs> This way she could just throw it in the dishwasher with the casserole thing. Uh, Charlie writes in, Hey there, had a question about DIYing a hood vent. I'm living in an apartment with no ventilation. Uh, I feel you, I, man. It's, that's why I went cr- ventilation crazy once I could. And doing a lot of high temperature and high volume cooking, usually ending up with a completely smoked out apartment. I have a window about five feet from my range and I'm thinking about building some sort of a hood with a box fan, which by the way, the problem with the word box fan is it can mean any size from, well, Nastasia has a different problem with the word box fan. No, 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 Are I'm you, not thinking about that. Oh, uh, sure you're not. No, it's no, like no. what Booker says Mm-mm. when Booker laughs about something he shouldn't and then says, I was thinking about something I else. I was thinking about like, something else. Okay. A uh, box fan can mean anything down from like the little muffin fans up to like the big ones in your window. They t- tend to be not that powerful, box fan. Anyway, uh, a furnace filter. You don't want a furnace filter. Look. Okay, I'll I'll finish the question. And some flexible HVAC tubing. I mainly need to figure out what hardware store piece I should use as a collector to go over the range. And was wondering if y'all had any advice on how to do this relatively well and safely. Thanks, Charlie. Listen, there's two things you've asked, and they are separate. There is how to do it well, and there is how to do it safely. These are two separate things. Um, The... What I did back in the day, and it worked very well but was not safe, was I bought two crappy um, Home Depot slash Lowe's Brown uh, hoods, uh, and I screwed them together back to back, and then I just put them very, very close to the thing I was cooking on, and then put a straight pipe out my window. So uh, that'll work. Uh, the, the issue is, the problem with a filter, any sort of fil- uh, furnace filter, is uh, you're going to throw grease up into that thing and occasionally have flames leaping up and other stuff. It becomes a tremendous fire hazard. So for you to try to put, um, you know, a uh, anything other than a stainless steel designed filter in the way to trap grease on the way out is going to cause problems. The other thing is, is that any sort of tubing is going to get grease in it and is also going to become a fire hazard, which is why there's a lot of specifications about the um, fans and whatnot that are used in ventilation systems and why they have to vent a certain distance out of your window because at any second, going back to another section of our uh, thing today, remember, Matt, it always goes back, uh, you become a flamethrower out of the side of your building, right? (laughs) Now, I'm presuming that you're not worried about throwing a lot of, uh, you know, oil vapor into your neighbors, although you should, right? Uh, but what, what you want is the fewest amounts of turn in your uh, pipe. 
and the fewest amount. You want the largest bore and the fewest amounts of turns. And you definitely don't want pipe that has ridges in it. You definitely don't want like flexible HVAC piping that is, has a bunch of ridges in it to capture grease because now you've just made your life more and more unsafe by capturing even more grease in those rigid things. So the, the most unsafe thing that I did that worked okay was I took two of those crappy uh, hoods, uh, bolted them together, and just put them, I forget how I joined them into a pipe, and I just put a straight shot angled pipe directly out the window with one of those... One of those, what, what's this motion I'm making? The flapper, the little flapper things on it that, you know, that, that, um, you know it's what I'm like talking It's like a doggy about. door. Yeah, yeah, like a doggy door. On the thing, uh, and then fire it out. They're loud as hell, and when you stick them, you know, only a foot and a half, foot and a half over a, uh, you know, 60, I forget what I had, 60, 70, 80,000 BTU uh, deep fryer. I ended up melting most of the internal components of the hood, so I'm not going to say it was safe, but man, it evacuated a professional fryer fine, such that you couldn't smell it in the, in the rest of the place. Uh, but it's not code, it's not safe, it is cheap though, and does work. So, uh, what do you think, Matt? Was I clear on the not safe? Yeah, you were clear on the not safe. Clear on the not safe? I right. already had, as the first uh, sentence of this description, we talk about a variety of ways to burn a building down. So, we're, we're pretty much covered here. Yeah, and like I say, it, it, we always end up going back to, you know, we, we make it back from our tangents. Jesse writes in about passata. Uh, you, like, you, like, you ever make that stuff with the tomatoes where you put it through? The whole time you lived in Italy? Then it, I guess, no? Oh, you weren't that. in the south. You were in the north. Just through a thing? Yeah, you you scoop out the seeds, you cook the you cook the tomatoes either by themselves or you boil them, and then you you let them drain, and then you put them through the thing that gets rid of all the skins and the leftover seeds, and you get the passata. You put it in the in the jars or bottles. You heat it, and then you have the you have it for the rest of the year. You know what I'm talking about? I do know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I grew a lot of tomatoes and make a hefty volume of passata every fall. I can't find much information on whether freezing or can't. By the way, passata, fantastic clarified tomato water, the best. The best, the best, um, because it doesn't have the seeds uh, and the skin. The skin is the bitter part of the tomato, people. The skin is the bitter part of the tomato. If you ever blend tomatoes and centrifuge it and then taste the skin alone, not good. Um, I can't find much information on whether freezing or canning offers superior flavor. Some sources suggest canning preserves aroma better. I don't think that's true. I mean, I don't know, but I don't think that's true. Um... But offer little to back that up. Do you have any opinions or research that might help clarify the best course of action? Thanks, Jesse. I don't. But uh, the issue with freezing, I'm sure, works fine. Um, you, you just got to make sure that the uh, stuff has a uh, – which 99% of tomatoes do, no matter what the USDA says about – they worry that your tomatoes are going to be overripe or some sort of modern, very low – very uh, you know low-acid tomato and that it's not going to have enough acidity to protect yourself against botulism, in which case you need to do pressure canning as opposed to hot water canning, which is what almost everyone does when they're jarring tomato. Uh, I doubt that any of – I mean you could taste it if it if – if it's a low acid tomato, then freeze it maybe or pressure can it or add some acid to it. Um, but I don't see why – it's already cooked, right? The passata is already cooked. So it's not like cooking it again is going to hurt the flavor. Uh, I would do whatever's easier for you. In general, I think it's easier to store things that don't have to be freezered because – 
it, once you fill your freezer, unless you have an extra freezer just for passata, which which case, fine, freeze it, right? Uh, it's kind of a pain in the butt to fill your freezer with something like that. Whereas you have a bunch of shelves, even a closet, you could put the, the canned stuff, jarred stuff in and it'll last forever. The other issue with frozen is you have to thaw it before you use it. And that's a pain in the behind. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I would say I would say don't freeze it unless you like freezing it, in which case freeze it. I don't know of an organoleptic reason to do it one way or the other. Uh, I wasn't able to find anything. Uh, you got like seven minutes, so. Seven minutes? Yeah. All right. Back to Dave is 30. These guys are jerks to me all the time. Just mean. Uh, oh, by the way, for those of you interested in non-melting cheeses, I was experimenting with bread cheese. We'll talk about it later maybe. Uh, I guess I will not have time to tell the disgusting story today. Should I talk about tweels? I'll talk about tweels because those are coming up. I'll do, I'll do them both real quick and then we'll do classics. Uh, Trafton writes in, um, uh, I had a question for the show. Hopefully it's not too late. I got a pastry question for a dinner I'm hosting Saturday. I hope I could sneak in for the show. I want to make really thin, savory tart shell for an hors or something closer to a wafer or tweel than puff or pate brise. Uh, I've been experimenting with leftover sourdough starter. I've tried a few other crepe-like recipes with other flours, but haven't nailed the consistency yet. Do you have any other ideas or approaches I could take? Here's a pick for what I'm shooting for. Sorry, radio listeners. Sorry, radio listeners. Sorry us. We didn't get the picture. I sent it to you. Oh, I didn't see it. Uh, anyway, the issue with tweels and savory tweel doughs is that th- there's a, a bunch of different ways this can go. So most like traditional tweels are have a fairly high sugar content, and what that sugar content does is uh, it allows you to mold the tweel while it's hot, and then it sets up and goes crisp. Oh yeah, that's not. But that's that's just like dehydrated cracker says. thing. Anyway, in a non in a non uh, sweet environment where you can't add any sugar most of those like for instance even thomas keller's like salmon cones have some sugar in them to help with pliability but often those ones are uh par cooked right wrapped and then desiccated to get crunchy which is one way you can do it right but you're not going to get that hard crack tweel uh without further desiccation and you know without the kind of sugar to do it another thing people use is um cheese like frigo like parmesan tweels where those also are like a heat set thing where they're pliable when they're warm and then they set up when they when they get cold but in the absence of that uh just go for something that you par bake form and then uh and then dehydrate until until it's crunchy all right yeah uh we had a question about pina coladas uh okay uh hey dave uh, I don't know who th- wrote this because we don't have the information. A longtime listener uh, and purchaser of the gadgets and books. Uh, I have a perplexing issue with respect to milk clarified pina colada. I'm interested in running at my restaurant. My bar manager and I have product we are happy with, but are interested in adding texture by having a cascade on nitro. Our setup involves a long line run from our walk-in, and after many uh, tests, we are stuck. We are able to get the first pull of the product to cascade fairly well, not excellently, but after that, all the subsequent pulls are flat. We have a nitro tab head with the finest pattern of holes I can find. The finest pattern. I think they mean smallest. You know, which finest? Fine, like fine not find like the best uh but um i could find we have the nitro running at between 35 and 40 psi and i've also added a nitro afterburner set up to the line which you can look at uh okay i'm wondering if the product we're trying to cascade isn't that receptive to the uh, and then uh, is the length of run also an issue hope you can help um anyway so the issue here what we're talking about with nitro is 
so if you look at a, a there's vast confusion, by the way, so I was going to straighten this out, between nitrogen, N2, not soluble, and nitrous oxide, uh, N2O, it is soluble, laughing gas, the stuff they make whipped cream out of. In a nitro product, right, what you're doing is forcing pressurized nitrogen into it. It's not very soluble. And then as soon as it, you push it through plates or whatever you're going to do, uh, or in this afterburner, swirling it more so that when it comes out, like that nitrogen instantly pops out of, uh, out of the liquid and forms little micro bubbles that create the kind of cascading effect. Now this works best. So beer gas is a mixture of nitrogen and carbon dioxide so that you can have a relatively high pressure without over carbonating it. And then because the pressure is high, when it releases, it creates a lot of little micro bubbles. Those micro bubbles, which is what the afterburner and the, and the, the holes in the plate are doing kind of will pop out on you. Now, what I'm guessing is, is that you just don't have enough, uh, like you, you just not don't have enough dissolved stuff in your product to get a very fine kind of big cascade or head on it when it's coming out. Now, for those of you that know or think about it, if you've ever done carbonation in a bottle, you'll notice that the very first time you open it, you get a massive amount of foam. The very first time you carbonate something, you get a massive amount of foam. And that's because of the trapped gases and air, like nitrogen basically, that's in your product from the get-go. The more you do it, the less of that you're going to get right? The longer it sits, the lesser you're going to have that kind of entrained stuff in it. So I think what you may, I don't know whether you can do this, but if you could mix a little, a small amount of, of soluble gas in, so nitrous oxide, CO2, although CO2 is going to change the taste, a small amount of nitrous won't t- change the taste. But if you could put a small amount of soluble gas in and then force it through, the nitrogen under the higher pressure will pop that soluble stuff, make those little nucleation sites coming through the thing under the high pressure, and you should be able to get a good result. But that's, that's my guess of how to do it. Now, uh, so, so we're not going to do the, the, no. the, the, the disgusting story? No. Maybe next time. Ask, if you're interested, ask for me to talk about bread cheese and then filthy, disgusting stories. Oh, my God, it's so nasty. I won't tell Nastasi at lunch in case so that she can hear it for the first time on the air. All right. All right. Or we could do the disgusting story and skip classics in the future. But I brought the I brought this. It, I don't care. Can always leave the book here. It's not leaving my not books leave here. The book, but what would you rather do? What What do you want, Matt? Be the tiebreaker. I, I, I gotta do the classic. Do, no. do, do the classic. Do the classic. We'll do the disgusting story next week. I'm not gonna forget about the disgusting story. Come on. All right. It involves. It involves my robotic vacuum cleaner. My dog, oh, my, yeah. my son, and my work. This feels good. Yeah. I want that one. <laughs> Classics in the no. field, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Woo. All right. So uh, I'm kind of cheating today because it's like, it's like one of the, it's not one classic, it's 27 classics. Uh, and I've talked about it on air, but not since we've been doing uh, the Classics in the Field series. And what I love about this series is that it's, completely changed my life. It's even forced Nastasia to do some things. Um, uh-uh. oh, well, what about Steve Hubachek? Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh. She's like, nah-uh. I'm like, yeah. She's like, no, you're right. So, The Time Life Foods of the World is a series of books started uh, 
time life and you would subscribe to it and they would send it to you you know i don't know whether it was every month or whatever uh and it started in the in the late 60s and went up into the 70s there were 27 books in all and the person who started it was um michael field he died before the um before the series was completed but they finished it but what's amazing about it is that is the photographs and the fact that even though it was shot in the 60s and the 70s um, instead of being a normal cookbook, it's more about a slice of life about the way people live in the regions of the U.S. where they are and also in the different countries uh, of the world where the, where the books are, are you know, about. And the photographs are amazing. There is not one of these 27 books that isn't just amazing, amazing, amazing to, to look at. And they also have recipes in them the, the actual recipes are in a whole separate section, but a whole separate series of spiral-bound books. But the, the food that they describe isn't the necessarily the food that you would get even in a modern cookbook about those cultures. So it's a, it's a slice of life from the late 60s and early 70s in a bunch of other countries or even in our own country because four or five of them have to do it with the U.S. And even those sometimes are about what were bygone eras in those countries, but not from the perspective of a cookbook writer, usually from the perspective of a war correspondent who happened to know something about that country or a travel writer, and the photographers they got included, like, the original Sports Illustrated photographers. So it's just intensely awesome. So uh, so some of them are, they have, like, African cooking. They have straight-up American cooking. Um, in the American Cooking Northwest, uh, on page, which was also, which, uh, well, okay, so the Scandinavian one, it was shot by a guy named Richard Meek, who was one of the very first Sports Illustrated photographers. And in that book is the is the is the triptych of Max von Sydow or Sydow, the Swedish. By the way, who I have renounced. I loved him because this picture of this young, super sexy Max von Sydow showing how to scold properly really changed like the course of my life at the French Culinary Institute. So, you know, the like all of us, like Nils, Nastasia, and myself had this project where we would just take pictures of people doing that skull because it was all about the this ritual of doing this toast with Akavit and then like the look afterwards. And Max von Sydow has this amazing look. Now he's renounced his Swedish a Swedish citizenship. Uh, we tried to get in touch with him years ago to see whether he would do another copy of that skull picture because Nastasia and I bought the rights for that picture from the widow oh, of yeah of the ri- widow of Richard Meek to use in our skull project at the time and we Nastasia somehow found Max von Sydow's agent and was like will you redo this he's like I no longer do Swedish things I've renounced my Swedish citizenship I am now a French person and we were like week and that's the last time i've been like yeah max von Sydow, yeah even though come on he was ming the merciless he was death you know what i mean but weak anyway but the skull picture totally changed my life uh richard meek also shot the northwest american one in which case where on page 41 he uh they're talking about the uh matanuska valley and there's a picture of a one mrs john birch because it's the 70s and so they instead of giving her her own name she's mrs john birch gotta hate that don't you hate that yeah so weak 
Mrs. John Birch. Come on, she's a person. Anyway, uh, no, she's an accessory to the husband, but she's also a giant cabbage grower. And this picture is where I learned about <laughs> giant Alaska cabbages, right? Where we then found who grows the current giant cabbage, Steve Hubachek. At least he did like eight years ago when Estas and I looked this up. And we were this close, this close to getting a giant cabbage flown in from Alaska. And for some reason, I think Steve thought we were trying to like, I don't know. Dupe him. Or something. And then like he did, the line went dead. Yeah. He's a dentist in Alaska. Anyone here who's in Alaska who knows Steve Hubachek, we're still open to buying one of your giant cabbages, Steve. We really want one of your giant cabbages. We're going to make it into coleslaw. We're going to have a, a big party at my house. We're going to have a giant party at Nastasia's house in Stamford. I'm going to get a new chainsaw. I'm not going to use my old Husqvarna. I'm going to get a new electric chainsaw. I'm going to fill, because we're only going to use it once. So I'm going to, instead of using regular bar oil, I'm going to use salad oil, nice. right? Yeah. <laughs> Brand new chain, people. <laughs> salad oil in the, in the, in the bar oil thing. And we're going to do, we're going to do a chainsaw. First thing, we're going to take my regular regular husky and we're going to hollow out a stump to make a bowl and then we're going to take you know the new chainsaw husky is a husqvarna anyway and we're going to take a new one sorry i'm a husqvarna not i have some steel stuff anyway whatever and then we're going to we're going to chainsaw coleslaw but only if steve hubachek will sell us one of his giant cabbages yeah. uh so there's that there is um in the Quintet of Cuisines, which I brought here, there's uh, one of the best pictures of all time, is a uh, uh, food pictures of all time. The, in in, in uh, Brussels, in, um, they have a, a, what's his name, Bruegel. They have a festival for Bruegel in, in Belgium every year. And so there's a picture of a guy wearing this, like, you know, old, like, peasant hat, like, conical, felt fur, fur felt peasant hat with sausages around his neck. Remember that picture? And the guy's got an unbelievable look on his face. The pictures alone are worth, are worth it. There's a picture in the Japan book of a guy feeding beer to his cow, right? Cool. Amazing. And that one was written by a Korean war correspondent. I forget who the photographer of that was. In the uh, Latin American book, there's a picture of a... Um, there's a picture of someone doing the uh, piña harvesting for agave well before anyone. This is in like 1970, well before anyone in the U.S. knew what the hell that was. So they were always just about capturing a, like a relatively authentic moment in time and, and, and doing it in a way that is interesting even to our modern kind of uh, more, more jaded but also more open eyes. The other great thing about them is these books are still cheap. Cheap, 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 cheap. Even if you buy the whole set on eBay, you can get the whole set for like a hundred bucks. You could find them in any thrift store for like two bucks and the, each. And the great thing about them is that uh, I can't tell. I don't think any one is any more collectible than the other one. Uh, so, you know, you, if you buy a couple now, you can find a couple later. You don't need to worry about getting them all in one set. They're all amazing. Uh, the one that I thought I was going to be most disappointed with, the one on Africa, well, it turns out I was rereading it on the way over here. And yes, there's a lot of horrible stuff in it. Yes, it was written by, uh, uh, you know, Whitey McWhitington. Uh, but even that, even that book, even though some of it is hard, hard to, some of it hard to read, the attitude of it hard to read, uh, like... I looked at it again. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot about that. The Ethiopian stuffed tripe, which looks like an Ethiopian haggis. It isn't really. It's closer to a pudding. But I was like, oh, my God. Like, even 
today, after all these years, I opened it just to look at it. It was like, oh my God, I forgot. That's so amazing. So definitely go the next, anytime you're in a bookstore, look for the Time Life uh, um, Food of the World series and pick up any of the copies you can get and eventually collect yourself a whole set. Cooking issues. Cooking Issues is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.